Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship today. It's wonderful to see you today on this beautiful Sunday morning here in this uh, place of challenge, place of comfort, place of beauty, place where God is present. May we be present to God now as we listen now to the prelude that Steve Main will be playing on the organ. Join me now in the call to worship that's printed in the bulletin. God gives us one day at a time, long enough for laughter to follow any tears, deep enough for prayer and silence to dance together, time enough to help someone in need, plenty of time to notice beauty and praise the maker, sufficient time to build a bridge of forgiveness or tear down a wall of resentment, the right time to embrace friends, smile at strangers, play with children, sing praise to God. Praise God for this day we are given.
seated. And let's pray. Loving God, we do come before you today to give you our thanks and our praise to be our full selves with you, to come to our senses, to come to your presence knowing that you accept us as we are because your love for us goes beyond our wildest dreams. Yet you also call us to take on the image of, of the divine image that you bestowed upon us in creation. That is, you have called us to reach for the stars, to be the people you made us to be. And so, holy God, wherever we find ourselves on this morning, whether we're in the dumps or in the heights or somewhere in between, holy God, meet us where we are and guide us to receive the good news, to receive your grace and mercy, and to become the people you've called us to be and made us to be. Meet us now, holy God, by your spirit as we enter a time of silent prayer. And from out of the silence, God's people say together, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together the prayer of preparation and confession. That's printed here in the bulletin. Loving God, you call us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. But we crouch in the shadows, ashamed of the wrong we've done and of the good we have neglected to do. We have been timid disciples, afraid of putting our lives on the line for the good of your reign on earth. We conceal our true selves from one another, hiding behind the masks of our own power and competence. We allow divisions and discord to reign in our hearts, cutting you out altogether. Yet we know that discord is not your way. Reconciling God, call us back into relationship with you. Equip us for relationships of integrity in our families, in our church community, and in the world you love. We pray in the name of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and acknowledging our need for the love of God. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have just prayed in the name of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, acknowledging our need for the love of God. And as we do so, we acknowledge our need for God's mercy and forgiveness and power and presence to guide us to become the people we were meant to be. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, you have received all you need to become yourself as God's beloved child. So receive that good news. Pass it on and how you live your lives and be at peace. Amen. Let's stand and greet those that are around us. We welcome you to worship this day, and those of you that are uh, viewing online uh, on the live feed or later on on the website, we welcome you. Glad to have you here. If you're on the inside aisle, if you'll take the pew pad, sign yourself in, 
Pass it on down. If you're visiting here today, a special welcome to you. There's a place on the pad where you can give us your contact information as well. I invite you to turn to the color page in your bulletin, which is our highlights of announcements. There's another couple of pages of announcements there as well. Um, but these are the highlights. Uh, you'll notice a thing there about fill those boxes. The boxes that are referred to are these. It's Samaritan's Purse. It's the Operation Christmas Child. These boxes will be sent to uh, children, poor children in the poor countries. And we invite you to go shopping for the stuff that's listed. Bring it next Sunday after service. And they'll be loading up these boxes and getting them ready to send that time as well. If you'll notice, there's a red thermometer on the, uh, the thing there, and that is showing where we are on our pledge drive. We have approximately half the money that we need to run the church next year. So uh, we need to, if you, haven't, if you have made your pledge already, thank you so much. You're part of the red. Uh, and if you haven't, there happens to be a pledge card right in front of you in the pews there. You don't even have to go home and search for the one that we mailed to you a couple of weeks ago. They're in the pews. They're in the back there. You can just go and uh, fill that in and drop it off and help us complete this pledge campaign as well. There's an announcement about a women's retreat, which is coming up in January. Great opportunity. San Damiano Retreat Center. And then we had Dawn is teaching a class following this service, wonderful class on the Bible and what it means. So we encourage you to grab a cup of coffee, go down and participate in this adult education opportunity today. We now have two special announcements. Suzanne Latham is here from the Refugee Task Force and Steve Main. Good morning. A couple of weeks ago at their reception, many of you met the Fosleys, the refugee family that our congregation is sponsoring. To help resettle them, our team is working with the Jewish Family and Community Service. Their way of providing the basic needs for a family is different from Catholic charities whom we worked with in the past. Instead of our furnishing their apartment with everything they would need, the Fosleys were able to visit a warehouse and select items for their new home. JFCS received 21 new families in October, and that's a lot. So we've been asked to do a collection drive to help resupply their warehouse stock. And we're asking for your help. Rather than furniture or housewares, we have chosen to keep it simple. A big need is diapers and wipes for the babies, and for the adults, newly purchased full-sized toiletries. You will find a giving tree in the courtyard today, and it will be there for the rest of the month. If you prefer the easy way of shopping online and having your donations delivered, please contact myself or Ann Lind, and even simpler, you can drop a few dollars into the pot. We'll do the shopping for you. Details are in your bulletin, and thank you. Good morning. So about five days ago, I was in the airport in beautiful Columbus, Ohio, and just minding my own business, walking along, and there I saw them. Them. The Christmas decorations. <laughs> Early November. How many people feel like the fall season has just been racing along? Hmm? Yeah. So you know how it is with Christmas. 
the decorations get put up long before we're thinking about it, and if we're not careful, it's the airports and all those other places full of great people who will define your, our Christmas for you. But that's where we come in. We have the answer. The answer is the annual Christmas concert with choir and orchestra, which this year is December 7th and 8th, Saturday and Sunday nights at 7 o'clock. Our choir is down here looking resplendent. They clean up well. We have an orchestra here, brass up there. We do carols. We do original compositions. It's really, truly, and I'm, I'm saying this from my heart, it's probably one of the high points of my entire year is looking out and seeing that audience both of those nights. And I know a lot of you love it too. There's a fantastic reception after that. Tickets are now available. Last year, we sold out both shows. So don't be one of the ones who doesn't get to be there. We want to see you there that night. Thank you. A couple of other announcements. You may have noticed the flower that's up here, the rose on the piano in the front of the sanctuary. Uh, that is to honor and to celebrate the birth of Finnegan George McLaughlin, son of Shannon Peliquin and Mark McLaughlin, and brother of Iona McLaughlin, born October the 12th. They're members of our church and very busy right now with a little girl and a, and a, and a new baby boy. Um, you might you could probably be able to tell that there's some Celtic background in the family with the name Finnegan McLaughlin and Iona McLaughlin. So uh, praise be to God for the gift of new life. I also want to uh, let you know and remind many of you that this afternoon at 2 o'clock here in the sanctuary, we will be having a memorial service for our brother and sister uh, Aya and Ron Cook, who passed away in the last few months. Some of their family is here at this service as well. So please uh, remember the family in your prayers, and if you can come today, uh, 2 o'clock here in the sanctuary with a reception following, may God bless the family and the friends of our brother and sister Ron and Aya. Let's continue now in prayer. Holy and awesome God, Lord of the universe, you have called each and every one of us to this place today from so many different places, so many different walks of life, and here we are. We're here now to give you our thanks and our praise. For from our diverse backgrounds, you have woven us into a family of faith and discipleship. Despite our various failings as individuals and as a community, you do accept us as we are. You love us beyond our wildest dreams, and you promise to shape us into the people you made us to be in Jesus Christ. So we pray this morning that as you have accepted us in all of our glorious and messy complexity and individuality, so we can learn to accept others whose ways may be so very different from our own. Almighty God, as we honor those who have served our nation in the armed forces this weekend, and as people, especially in Europe, remember the end of the war to end all wars and the lives that were given in pursuit of freedom and justice and peace, we know that you know every veteran by name. You know their deeds, their needs, their hopes, their hardships, their families, their loved ones. So draw each one closer to you this day, loving God and grant them the peace that passes understanding. Grant all of us, whether we served or not, that same peace, that we can rededicate ourselves and our nation to promote peace 
and justice and mercy. Great and merciful God, we also recognize that in this gathering of people here today and online, in this very sanctuary and in so many other places, there are those who are wounded, who are hurting, who are struggling, who are in grief. So in a moment of silence, God, we lift up to your care all those for whom we have special concern today, including those whose circumstances and names are included on the prayer cards that we fill out and that we place into this box that is in front of our sanctuary next to me on my right-hand side here. We lift up all these prayers, holy God, in a moment of silence. Loving God, open us again today as a congregation, as individuals, to the sacrament of care, to the depths of prayer, to the path of peace, and to the brighter vision you have for all. For we pray this in the name of Jesus, who teaches us to pray together with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. what we are 
about to read is a story which comes to us after Jesus was crucified. And it's one of the stories of his appearances to people following his crucifixion and his resurrection. And uh, he uh, basically, some of the disciples are walking on this road to a town called Emmaus. There's a man that appears and he starts walking with them. And he says, why are you so sad? And they said, are you the only one that hasn't heard the news? Jesus was crucified. And then after that conversation, this one occurs. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he appeared to be going further. But they constrained him, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now spent. So he went to stay with them. He was at ta- when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them, who said, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. We're in the second part of a three-part sermon series based on a book by Henry Nouwen called Reaching Out, Three Movements of the Spiritual Life, one of the classics of Christian spirituality. Last week we talked about the movement from loneliness to solitude, from being alone and having it be bad, which we call loneliness, to being able to be alone and have it be good, which we call solitude. And part of our spiritual journey is to be able to move from that experience of loneliness to a place of, of solitude. This week we're going to look at the movement from hostility to hospitality. Hostility is probably uh, an innate human trait. We're somewhat hardwired 
to be afraid and hostile to those that are strangers. We're tribal creatures. We like our tribe, but we're not sure about yours. And so we tend to be hostile to those people that we do not know. But the Christian life calls us to move from that natural tendency of hostility to what's called hospitality, to an openness and a welcoming of those who are strangers. It's not so much that we can ever find God in our life, but we can create places where God can find us. We can make a place where God can find us. Thomas Merton, the great Christian mystic, said God often finds us in three different places. First, in Scripture, in the stories that we read in the Bible, we can read those and we can get a glimpse of what God is like. God finds us in ourselves. When we create that space in our life and in our hearts through solitude, when we create enough space, God can then come in and fill it with God's Spirit. And then we also find God in the face of the stranger. When we practice hospitality, we see God. There's a common benediction that's used in the church that says, Go from this place and welcome the stranger. For once we came as strangers to this world and we were welcomed and it made all the difference. If I was invited to be at the the uh, national prayer breakfast with the congressmen and the presidents. That's the benediction I would love to give. Go from this place and welcome the stranger. For once we came as strangers and we were welcomed and it made all the difference. To move from the place of hostility to the place of hospitality is not easy. But we need to do it because we have, we can do it because we can acknowledge that we've experienced hospitality. We were welcomed here. Uh, Because I don't see very many Native Americans in the audience, I can probably make the statement that just about everybody here came to this country in the last 450 years. Some involuntarily through slavery, but most voluntarily. Most came, some escaping religious persecution, Probably most came for economic gain, to be able to have a better life than where they lived before. I know that's true of my people. Did a little genealogy about my family. It was around 1850 that the McNabs got tired of living in Kalin, Scotland, where it's extremely hard to make a living. The soil is rocky, it's not fertile. Just about all you can do is raise sheep and hard to make a living doing that. So they decided that they would give America a try. They got on some boat somewhere. They sailed across, probably came in through New York, and somehow they landed in Springfield, Missouri. And they took up residence there. They lived there for several generations until 1920. And my grandfather heard that there were a lot of jobs out in a place called Phoenix, Arizona, this town that they were building out in the desert. He was a carpenter, and he heard they needed carpenters out there. So he moved his family out to Phoenix, Arizona, where my dad was born and I was born. And we we were welcomed. We didn't have any applications. We didn't ask anybody's permission. We just came here, and we were welcomed into this country. 
Our nation needs to ask the question, how do we continue to show hospitality to the world? We have those beautiful words written on the Statue of Liberty. Bring me your poor, your tired, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. How do we ever get from that sentiment to build the wall, build the wall, build the wall? We need to return to the ethic of hospitality that most of us, our families, our ancestors experienced in coming to this place. There's an old tale of a ascetic teacher was, was asked the question, when does the night end and the day begin? Somebody said, well, when the sun comes up? No, he said. When you can tell the difference between a man and a tree? No. When you can see a fox run across the road? No. The night ends and the day begins when we see every human being as our brother and sister. Otherwise, it is always night. This monastery out in Danville that we're going to be having the women's retreat at, um, it's, uh, it's called San Damiano. And I remember years ago talking to some of the the monks, it's a Benedictine monastery, and, and they said to me, they said, you know, we treat every stranger as if they were Jesus Christ themselves, just in case. That's, that's pretty good. It's sort of like the verse that I listed in your, in your bulletins there, which says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. That you never know if that person that you'll show hospitality with, you never know if it is an angel or even if it is Jesus. Entertain strangers, Jesus says, is the same as entertaining me. In as much as you do it for them, you do it for me as well. There's a, an amazing story uh, it's not a fictional story, it's a true story of, of his life, uh, written by a guy named Richard Selzer, and in, it's in his book, Taking the World in for Repairs. He's a medical doctor, and he writes about different things. He, he has this one story called Diary of an Infidel, Notes from a Monastery, and he writes about a trip that he took over to Venice, and he had a stay at this monastery there. If you've ever been to Venice and been in the major plaza there by the church, San Marco Plaza, when you look out onto the, the water, the first thing you see is this island that's totally covered in a church. And that's where he went. It's the Abbey of San Giorgio Maggiore. Here's what he says. Wanderers know it, beggars, runaways, exiles, fugitives, that if you knock at the door of a monastery seeking shelter, you will be taken in. A bed will be provided, and food and the opportunity, but not the obligation, to pray. Those inside will know it too, the monks, and they will act accordingly. After all, the most unlikely visitor has the possibility of having Christ within him. So the monks are taught, and so they believe. It's evening. I'm standing on the pier in San Marco in Venice. If I have been fleeing, it is from no physical hardship, but only from the dilemma of life. In my haste, I have made no hotel reservation. For some hours, I have traipsed from one pension to another. No luck. 
What is that place out in the bay? I ask a stranger. And I point to a small island, every inch of which is occupied by a great church and attached buildings. Well, that's the Abbey of San Giorgio Maggiore, he tells me. And all at once, I know it is the place that I have been seeking. I know it is that place that I have been seeking. And so I cross the great stone terrace and I rap on the door. He takes the boat over there. He goes up to the place. A monk in a loose floor-length habit flows about his legs. I am a wayfaring stranger seeking shelter, I say. I would like to stay in your guest house. I am Don Pietro, the guest master, he says in English, without the least bit of surprise. He does not ask my name or whether I'm expected. I will show you to your room. When he gets to the room, he says, enter Christ. Well, not exactly, I say. 400 years ago, the abbot himself would have come to bathe your feet. How long have you guys been here, I ask? We have been here a thousand years. He goes on and he actually ends up staying there for a month and has some amazing, amazing experiences there. He is given hospitality. He is welcomed in. He's shown that he is, he is welcome there. Now, what's interesting is you and I probably will not have the experience of somebody knocking at our door and saying, I am a wayfaring stranger. I would like to stay at your house tonight. That hasn't happened often to me. But when you look at the list of things in the bulletin, you have so many opportunities to show hospitality. When you take the, the stuff to the refugee task force to welcome Afghan families into the country, you're showing hospitality. When you sign up to serve at Hope Cafe in Oakland, you're showing hospitality. When you teach, when you tutor a child at an Oakland school, you're showing, all of those are opportunities to show hospitality. We have many of them. And part of the, our measurement of our spiritual maturity will be if we move toward that from hostility to hospitality. There's a beautiful image of hospitality in Psalm 23. We say it every time that we say that, but often we don't recognize it. You know the line that says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies? You know what that's about? There's a rule at that time called the law of the desert. And when you were camping in the desert, and if somebody was being chased by an enemy, they were running, they were a fugitive. If they came into your encampment that night, you had to welcome them in and give them hospitality. And the enemies had to stay outside as far as the light of the campfire would, would go. So here you are, you've made it safe, and they've laid out a table before you of food in the presence of those enemies that are back in the shadows, in the darkness. That's what God offers to us. A table before me in the presence of our enemies. That's what it means. And then we have the, the image in our text today. They walk with Jesus. They don't recognize him. They have no idea who this man is that's talking to them. But they invite him in. They're having dinner together. He takes the bread and he breaks it. And all of a sudden, they see, this is Jesus. Jesus is here. He was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's part of the symbolism of whenever we have communion here. 
the hope is that in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, that Jesus will be made known to us and we will feel his presence in our life and his power and his spirit, that we will know those things. What are the barriers to us making this movement toward hospitality? Probably number one is fear, isn't it? It's just the idea of that we're afraid. I mean, nobody picks up hitchhikers anymore, do they? It used to be a common thing. Why don't people do that anymore? Because they're afraid. They're afraid. Fear is always the, the enemy of hospitality. Violence, unfortunately, creates fear. Then fear creates hostility. It's a constant battle to try to fight against that. It's, it's not anything new. Do you realize that in the story of the Good Samaritan, when, when Jesus told about the guy who comes across the, the beat-up comes across the beat-up guy by the side of the road. He gets off his donkey, which makes him vulnerable, because there could be other robbers hiding there, waiting for the next guy to come along. He gets off his donkey, he kneels down, he helps the guy. He has to fight against the fear that he is making himself vulnerable to help somebody else. It probably always is going to be that choice in some ways. So fear is the enemy of hospitality, also, perhaps an, an enemy is to not even know hospitality when we see it, to not be fully aware that we're in, in the presence. You, those of you that know me know that one of my heroes is David Livingston, the great Scottish missionary doctor who spent 30 years in Africa trying to stop the slave trade, trying to, to spread Christianity, trying to help people. He, he did all kinds of good things, and he has one of the stories is, is that... Um, when he was traveling into a new territory, a new kingdom, headed by a new chief, he, you have to go through a protocol when you do this. And he knows the protocol. So you stop at the edge of the territory, you send somebody in to announce your presence, and then the chief comes and greets you and eventually gives you permission to come. But before you do that, as part of the ceremony, you lay out all of your possessions and you give a gift to the chief that he gets to choose. So David Livingston lays out his books, his medical equipment, his clothes even, and the goat that was giving him milk to help his stomach, because his stomach was really bad from drinking the water there, so he would drink this goat milk to help him. So he lays out all of the stuff, and lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, the chief chooses the goat. And David Livingston is so upset. He gets, in turn for the goat, he gets a carved stick shaped like a walking stick. And Livingston is so disappointed, he begins to gripe to God about what he viewed as a stupid walking cane and what could it do for him compared to the goat whose milk was keeping him well. And then one of the local men explained, that's not a walking cane. That's the chief's very own scepter. And with it, you will find entrance to every village in our land. And you will be given whatever you need, including goats. The king has honored you greatly. It's possible to be shown hospitality and to not even realize it. The other barrier to hospitality is one that we're all familiar with. And it's just busyness. We get so busy that uh, we don't have time to do it. 
I've mentioned to you before Robert Putnam's book, Bowling Alone, where he, he chronicles the decline of humanitarianism in uh, American society. Social interaction. And you can measure it in stuff like people bowling in leagues versus bowling alone. They actually have been able to track <clears throat> um, the, the amount of people who throw dinner parties. Did you know that 20 years ago, people threw twice as many dinner parties as they do nowadays? Inviting people over, having people into your house, having dinner. It used to be an extremely common thing. People would do it all the time. And nowadays, it's become kind of rare to be, to be able to be invited to somebody else's home, to have dinner with them. Why? It's just busyness, isn't it? It's just busyness. So what are the bridges to hospitality? Well, one is knowing who your neighbor is. Knowing who your neighbor is. When the, Jesus was asked to give a definition of neighbor, the lawyer went to him and said, uh, who is my neighbor? I think he expected some sort of a legal definition, like, well, the neighbor is somebody who lives, you know, four houses down the street, you know, on either side. That's your neighbors. That's who they are. Um, and uh, some sort of definition like that. But it turns out that Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan, which basically the answer is, your neighbor is anyone who needs you. So he doesn't know this guy by the side of the road. He has no idea who he is, but he is his neighbor because he is in need. His very need makes him your neighbor. That's who it is. And we have to, to, to have somebody as a neighbor, to really be a neighbor to somebody, we have to know what hurts them. Once you know who your neighbor is, you need to know what hurts them. In fact, you don't even know me until you know what hurts me. Dr. Carl Menninger, the psychiatrist, was asked, what's the most important task as a psychiatrist? He said diagnosis. Because without the right diagnosis, the wrong treatment will be given. The word diagnosis comes from gnosis, knowledge, and dia, through and through. Knowing through and through. The ultimate gift we give to make the stranger a friend is to know through and through who they are and what hurts them. And then knowing how to be poor in spirit, Jesus starts off the Sermon on the Mount by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What an opening line. Poor in spirit means to live without the need for your own righteousness. No outer need for your own reputation. Often we see this hospitality modeled in the faces of the poor. I know many of you have experienced that. In 1978, I went on my very first Mexico trip. I was a youth minister in Concord, took some kids down. We built the same exact houses that our kids build now, the two-room wood houses with the Moore Ministries. And I I'll never forget the, the family that we were helping. They had in their house two cans of beans. They opened them, heated them, and shared them with us. The hospitality of those who had nothing. Years later, when my daughters would go to Mexico, they would come home with the same stories. Dad, you know the family we were helping? They made dinner for us. Or they made lunch for us. They didn't have anything. But they somehow went out and got food and shared it with us. 
Many of you have, have told those kind of stories from your own experience with the poor, whether it's Africa or Mexico or whatever. And so often, in giving and breaking bread with those in need, suddenly the Christ that we have looked for becomes apparent to us. Just like on the road to Emmaus, often in the, in the presence of sharing together, in the hospitality, that is the place where we see the face of Christ in our life. Amen.
give thanks to God now together as we pray the prayer of thanksgiving that's printed in the bulletin. Let us give thanks to God, our Father, for all God's gifts so freely bestowed upon us, for the beauty and wonder of your creation in earth and sky and sea, for our daily food and drink, our homes and families and our friends, for minds to think and hearts to love and hands to serve, for health and strength to work, and leisure to rest and play, for the brave and courageous who are patient in suffering and faithful in adversity, for all valiant seekers after truth, liberty, and justice, for the communion of saints in all times and places, we thank you. Above all, we give you thanks for the great mercies and promises given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. To him be praise and glory forever.
brothers and sisters, go forth from this place to practice hospitality. Welcome somebody into your life because you're leaving here as representatives and ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. So live your life this week in such a way that wherever people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. And the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace.